Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. The Inside Indy Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxy, makers of the best premium socks I've ever owned. Are you still wondering what to do about those last-minute stocking stuffers? Or maybe you're like me and have barely started shopping yet. Do you need a gift for that random relative or goofy friend that gets you something and you aren't usually prepared to return the favor? Well, Dead Soxy has you and their feet covered. Head over to deadsoxy.com and use code LUCKY at checkout for savings exclusive to our Inside Indy Sports Podcast listeners. That's right. Promo code LUCKY gets you 30% off and free shipping on all orders with no minimum purchase required. This deal isn't even available to the general public, so we're thankful for Dead Soxy for making it available to our listeners. Happy holidays from Dead Soxy, and as always, stay Soxy. Notre Dame failed to beat USC in the regular season finale, and the Irish will learn of their bull fate on Sunday with the rest of college football. But as soon as the USC game ended, the focus quickly shifted to offseason decisions. Senior cornerback Cam Hart already announced he will be returning for a fifth season for Notre Dame, and many more stay-or-go decisions will be on the way for players looking to turn pro or turn to the transfer portal. Uh, The Irish should be in position to add from the transfer portal as well, while also finishing up its 2023 recruiting class. So we wanted to bring Rivals National Director of Recruiting Adam Gorney onto the podcast to help us look at some options. Adam, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Adam, before we get into portal candidates and recruits, I wanted to get your thoughts just on Notre Dame's first season under head coach Marcus Freeman. What did you see this season that was encouraging for the Irish? And what did you see that may be concerning moving forward? Yeah, and and as we all know, and people that listen to this podcast know that it was a a rough start, obviously, the Ohio State game. And then Marshall uh, was was really the low point. But since then, I mean, you look at the job he did, maybe a little bit of a reset, you know, more comfortable in the job. Um, You know, there are definitely some big wins in there. Beating North Carolina, that's playing for the ACC championship this year. just completely dominating Clemson, uh, con- controlling them defensively, I thought was really impressive. Along the way, some good wins. Even that at Syracuse win, at that time, Syracuse was playing really good football, and that's a tough place to play. So maybe the comfort level there is a little bit more. Uh, he's gotten into the job a little bit more. And, you know, in today's uh, college football, you don't really get that leeway. Um, you know, he's done a good job kind of rebounding from those first two losses and not making it a misery of a season, but actually having an impressive, uh, you know, first season under under Freeman. Okay, well, I want to jump into the new rivals portal features. Um, I'm pretty impressed. I really like them. Um, for people that want to kind of follow along with us, um, I want you to maybe tell them a little bit about about it, how to get there, and so forth. But what I like is you can um, sort these guys by positions. You can sort them by the school they're leaving from, you sort them the school they're going to, and they all have ratings. They have star ratings and so forth, which I think is a really difficult task uh, <laughs> for these portal guys. So, so give us a little bit of the detail about about the portal features and and what you like about them. What fans can look forward to. Yeah, this is a long time in the making. And once the tra- transfer, you know, obviously we do this for a living. So we, we, you know, follow incredibly closely. 
once the transfer portal started to become something that was not just a one-off, I'm going to take one or two guys here and, and became really almost as important as high school recruiting. And if not more important for a lot of teams that are looking for immediate fixes at certain positions, uh, you know, we felt we needed to build a product for our subscribers that, that was, that was as good as our high school product and as in depth. And so once we really started digging into the transfer portal, I can tell you, I've been on countless conference calls about how this is going to look technology wise, what the best way to do this is. And what we felt was because it's so unwieldy. So it's so hard to sort of follow who's in, who's out, unless you're basically living on Twitter all, all day, or like you guys covering one specific team what we wanted to do was have uh, the thing that we call the transfer tracker, which is every single player that is in the transfer portal um, all at one time, and then be able to sort them by position, by origin college, where they came from, uh, the transfer college, where they're going to, and then the class. So, you know, a lot of these guys will be for this class. Um, and it's far more complicated than you would think. Uh, right now, it could only be grad guys. It could only be guys from a coaching change. <clears throat> December 5th is when really the something hits the fan and we all lose our minds because it's just going to be an absolute madhouse. And, and it might be an indictment on college football. There are certainly concerns about this for the sport, but we have to follow it the way, you know, it's, 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 it's coming together. So, you know, you look right now, you know, Texas's backup quarterback, Boise State's starting quarterback, Michigan's essentially starting quarterback from last year who has an incredible record, Arkansas's backup quarterback, Georgia Tech's starting quarterback, Wisconsin's backup, Indiana's starting quarterback. They're all in the portal. That's only at quarterback. So it has completely transformed the way that we cover recruiting, the way we think about recruiting, and how we have to move forward with it. And so Lastly here, I think that the most, one of the most important parts of having this portal product in place now is that we're going to have three rankings for recruiting classes because we thought it was incredibly unfair that teams could intentionally go to the portal for half their recruiting class and their only their high school class was reflected in the team recruiting rankings. So what we're going to have is we're going to have a high school uh, recruiting ranking team ranking, we're going to have a portal only ranking, and then most important, the blended ranking. So that will come uh, hopefully by the second signing period when or, or beyond because the portal stays open um, to have a, a to have a, the finality of the 2023 recruiting class be reflective of both what teams did in the portal and what they did in high school recruiting. So basically everybody that's going to Notre Dame or going to Alabama next year will be ranked in a sense and then shown to see who has the best of those recruiting classes. Yeah, that's uh, quite, quite the endeavor that we are taking on at Rivals and uh, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how everything pans out. And if you have not found the product yet, you can go to portal portal.rivals.com. I would bookmark that page and spend some time there because there's plenty of interesting information. Um, you can find that transfer tracker. You can sort for player positions and all that stuff. So that's going to be fascinating to watch as the season or the off season unfolds and <laughs> transfer season begins. Um, sort of big picture. Notre Dame is in this position where it hasn't taken a lot of undergrad transfers. There, it they have the these 
academic requirements within the, within their different colleges and the schools that make it really hard for credits to transfer from other schools. And I think Notre Dame's trying to figure out how it can get a handle on that and maybe make itself um, more, it, it, it can make itself a, a destination for those undergrad transfers when it hasn't in the past. Do you think that Notre Dame would be at a disadvantage if it doesn't start allowing more undergrad transfers? I do. Um, just because of the way that you can quickly transform a roster now. So if there are certain positions, let's take USC, for example, and Notre Dame fans are fresh off of knowing this. Two years ago, Caleb Williams wasn't there. Mario Williams wasn't there. Travis Dye wasn't there. Eric Gentry wasn't there. Down the line, I mean, the, yeah. basically, you know, uh, Jordan Addison, their entire team was transformed. So you give Lincoln a lot of credit for what he's done in year one, but you also have to say, look, it's an entirely different roster. So if Notre Dame is unhappy with their quarterbacks or they strike out with a high school recruit, or they say, you know what, we don't like our interior defensive line group. And I don't want, and we don't have two years to sort of develop guys and hope that they all pan out from a high school perspective. We're going to, we're going to not recruit high school. We're going to intentionally not recruit high school guys so we have more options in the portal. It's completely transformed how, how staffs think about this, how recruiting goes, and how, and how quickly you can change the look of your team. Now, there are certainly drawbacks to this. One, high school kids are not being recruited as much because half of recruiting classes across Division I football are now kids just be, being recycled from another school. Two, you, uh, my, one of my worries about the transfer portal being so popular is that it's, it's much like college basketball. There's no real connection to a team over three or four years. The, you know, this Notre Dame team, and not necessarily Notre Dame, but let's take USC for an example. You, this USC team went to Notre Dame and lost. Now they came back and beat them at home. You feel good about that. It's the same guys. It's like Christian Leitner and Bobby Hurley against those old Kentucky teams. Now the Duke guys are there for one year. Caleb Williams is there for one year. They bounce here and there. I mean, Guys are transferring from the transfer portal now. So those kinds of connections, I, I'm, I worry fans get turned off. Not the diehard fans that really are on rivals all day, but just the, the, the typical fan that wants to show up to a Wake Forest game and see the kid that played in their high school is now at a different school and some guy they don't know has come in. All those kinds of things I think are worrisome. But yes, I think Notre Dame, if they can figure it out academically, if they want to do it that way, um, it would be a, a very big advantage for them because everyone else is doing it that way and gets and get veteran guys. These aren't just kind of rejects that couldn't make it somewhere. Um, you know, Caleb Williams was one of the best quarterbacks. You know, you're going to see with coaching changes, this happen even more. So I, I definitely think that high school development part is very difficult uh, to overcome when you have a 21, 22 year old veteran stepping in right away, hungry to prove himself at a new school. I can't imagine trying to rank these guys and let's narrow it just to quarterbacks. Um, you know, when you look at, and we, you know, rivals wasn't doing this last year, but some of the people that were ranking, you know, had Keaton Slovis pretty high and JT Daniels high and Spencer Rattler and Rattler until the last couple of weeks has been not so good. JT yeah. Daniels has got beat out West Virginia Slovis way down in the past efficiency ratings. And yet you had, uh, Michael Penix Jr., um, who didn't have a great year last year at Indiana, but had one in his past. Bo Nix was really high this year. 
kid at James Madison that came from Colorado State. So how do you get a handle on guys with quarterbacks with, well, there was a good year, maybe as their sophomore year, but boy, they haven't been good lately. How, do, how does that work? Yeah, so the way, so so people just know like how, how we rank high school guys, it's based on college potential and then NFL draft positioning. So that's why you see quarterbacks, receivers, defensive ends, higher than corners, higher than tight ends, even though tight ends, you know, are an important part of NFL teams and stuff, they just don't get drafted higher. We've, we've stepped away from ranking running backs as five stars because those guys hardly go in the first round. So a five-star ranking means you're a first round potential player. So you can essentially, you can still have them, but it's just, we're, we limit them a lot more. So when we're looking at portal rankings, we're really looking at a few things. One, how they've performed up to that point then how, how we project that they're going to perform at their next school and then how they're going to be drafted. So, you know, it's, it's very difficult, but like, you know, Hudson card had, you know, certainly on, on lower attempts, but had higher percentage uh, and, and would have projected out at, if he kept those percentages higher than Quinn Ewers at Texas. So we think he has potential to be, really special at his next place. Cade McNamara, I don't know exactly his win losses at Michigan, but if JJ McCarthy wasn't there, he would con have continued to have success there. So we think he's going to have potential to be uh, a guy that can have success at the next place. We don't think he's a, a potential first rounder down the line, but somebody would take him in the fourth, fifth round. That means he's probably still a, you know, a low four star kind of kid. So that's kind of how we have to look at it. And believe me, Eric, it is a lot of you know, on the fly, it is a lot of, you know, taking shots. And we've seen, you know, the good thing is, in part, we've seen these high school kids pretty much since they've been in eighth and ninth grade, we know 90% of them since around that time. So we have a decent idea of how they're going to project into college. That's tough. In college, we've seen them now probably for six, seven years, whether it's through high school into their and then into their college, um, you know, performance. And so we can still sort of get a grasp on it. There are definitely guys that are tough to really know. Christian Valu, the, the Penn State kid, or Deacon Hill at Wisconsin, you know, the Paul Tyson who's transferring from Arizona State, Jack Tuttle, who basically can't stay at a school for more than three weeks. So, you know, you figure these, these guys, you try to figure it out, you try to place them somewhere, but the rankings are not just to just slap some stars on some kids because at the end, these kids will all end up somewhere. And with that blended ranking, you're going to have an impact on, on recruiting classes. So Adam, you mentioned Hudson card there. He's the top ranked quarterback in the portal currently. And we believe that Notre Dame will be entertaining a quarterback transfer this off season. Can you give us sort of the scouting report on Hudson card? I, I we, I did find out this week that he will be graduating from Texas. And so that would make it an easier transfer situation for someone like Notre Dame. Uh, so how, what, what do you think potentially Hudson Carr? Now I've, this is jumping a few steps ahead. Obviously we don't even know if he wants to come to Notre Dame or if that that'll end up being there, but what would he look like in, in Notre Dame's offense potentially? Yeah, I think it would be a, a very good, uh, addition. He's a very talented quarterback that just got sort of, you know, if, if Quinn Ewers was still at Ohio state, he'd probably be the starter at Texas. There's probably no doubt about that. Um, you know, in, in the preseason, and Sark played this a little bit. We all knew Quinn Ewers was going to be the starter, but Hudson Card didn't back down from that competition. And 
you know, a lot of people thought he felt, you know, he looked better in the preseason. There were some predictions that he was going to be the starter game one. So this is not just some sort of, you know, backup that, you know, he came in with Quinn Ewers and knew he'd be a backup and was fine with that. This is a kid that wants to compete. Um, you know, he threw 107 passes this year, about 69% completions. That's pretty high end elite stuff. Um, you know, he's a very talented kid. And I think he wants an opportunity to show it. He, he was not going to get that at Texas. This is, this is why the transfer portal is good because kids that are, are sort of skipped over or recruited over still get an opportunity to show their, show what they can do somewhere else. So he's a guy that, you know, can run, can move around a little bit. He's going to be a very competent guy. That's not going to turn the ball over and he'll move it down the field for them. Okay. Adam, when, the floodgates open on Monday, and I don't know that everybody's going to jump in on Monday, but um, who do you think will be the top quarterbacks once we get everybody in there? And maybe the, maybe that if you, if there was somebody you thought would be beyond Hudson, a good matchup for Notre Dame to look at. See, yeah. And that's, you know, that's the thing that's very difficult because we're talking you know, if you if you think it's surprising at, at the high school level about who jumps in or who, who commits where or who decommits where, now we're talking about across the country, uh, not only backups, but there's talk DJ Uyunglele will be in the portal by, by that time. You know, you look at somebody, you know, just in the ACC alone, who, who's the backup at Wake Forest if Sam Hartman uh, returns. There's talk Drake May is looking to possibly get into the portal and that Alabama is might be a destination for him. Like this is something that I don't think people comprehend. It's kind of like Y2K. Like you didn't know what was going to happen, <laughs> but like you felt something was there. Like, but this is actually going to happen. It's going to be <laughs> insane. And it's going to be insane because there are desperate coaching staffs out there that need immediate help. And whether that's Hugh Freeze on day one at Auburn, and he looks at his quarterback room and goes, this is not going to cut it. This is not what we need. We need to go to the portal immediately, and we need to ramp up the NIL dollars, and we need to get – that's why I'm trying with my staff, trying to say, look, we need to look at recruiting completely differently. This is about, this is about money, and this is about – immediate success on the football field. This isn't about a guy going to pick a school that's going to sit there for two or three years um, and wait, you know, you look at Miami is, is are one of those guys going to bounce out. Is Miami, does Mario Cristobal sit there and go, these guys are just not working out for me. I need, I need help immediately. You know, you look across college football um almost at every school you can make an argument for their quarterback or backup quarterback leaving for a different way. And, and the transfer portal was big last year. It's bigger this year. It's more important this year because it's now like really a part of the fabric of recruiting, you know, Oklahoma's starting and backup quarterback left last year. Uh, and UCF starter went to Oklahoma and, you know, it's just, that's what I'm talking about. Like everybody goes everywhere and it's like free agency every single year. Yeah. I it's, it's fascinating. And I, one, one of the other obstacles I think Notre Dame will face is that because it recruits the way it does, it recruits so many recruits that want to come to Notre Dame and not just 
play football, but they want to get an Notre Dame degree. Yeah. And so there may not be guys that are in as big of a hurry to to transfer out, even if they are buried on the depth chart. And so you get in sort of a, a tough situation there where it's like, well, even if you want to bring in a bunch of guys, you maybe can't unless you want to start chasing guys off and ruining your graduation rate. So right. I think it's a, 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 going to be an interesting um, time for Notre Dame and sort of figuring out how to navigate all of that with, with all those different situations. Um, yeah. And, and I think you're seeing the same thing at Stanford. Now they've, you know, David Shaw resigns and they right. moved on from him and I've talked to all the Stanford commits now, and a lot of them are like, you know what? I'm not crazy about the situation here. One, you know, two, three, and nine seasons isn't great. And now the guy I wanted to play for is gone, but it's still Stanford. You know, I might be willing to go there and sit and, and not play this transfer game and, and all those kinds of things. So I think, you know, and I do think you see that at a place like Notre Dame where not every single thing is about instant gratification and, you know, you can get a, you know, an XYZ degree at a lot of schools uh, that that's very similar to another one. But with that degree, with Stanford, even with like Duke and, and Michigan and those schools, I think there is a little bit of a different idea about who they're bringing in and, and the idea that, you know, they're, they're going there for more than just football right now. Adam, I'm curious what you think of Tyler Buckner, what you think his ceiling is you know, given he had some experience as a backup, as a freshman, two starts, hurts his shoulder. So he doesn't have a lot of experience. Um, but, but if you're Marcus Freeman, what, and Tommy Reese, what do you think of Tyler Buckner's potential um, as a starting quarterback at Notre Dame or somewhere else? Yeah. And, and, you know, you're getting a smart, competitive kid, that has a lot of talent, but, but like you said, he's undersized. He's, if he's going to take hits, he's, he's going to get hurt. And that, and really, that was really the concern when he was in high school out here in San Diego, he put up insane numbers, but he didn't play anyone that probably is even playing division three football. Like you just don't know what you're getting four or five years down the line when Miles Murphy and Brian Brise are, are breathing smoke and fire coming at you in the backfield. Like you just don't know what that projects to. So, you know, I, you know, I, I think he's a very talented kid. I think he does need more seasoning and absolutely protection and stop him from running as much because he, you know, there are quarterbacks that like to lay the wood, but you know, th there are also ones that take a lot of hits and know how to kind of absorb that. You know, he's got shoulder injury. You know, you get that. You kind of be concerned about that. We've seen him struggle at times, but we've seen some really good throws too. I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, they get Minchie, who's much more sturdy. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they were shopping for somebody else. Um, you know, Buckner is a very talented kid. Uh, does he lead you back to the college football playoff? I'm not entirely certain he does. Yeah, well, one guy... I we got to see Caleb Williams in the season finale. I thought he did. He does a really good job of protecting himself. He's running yeah. around like a madman, but he's <laughs> yeah. not afraid to slide when he, when he knows that he could be putting himself in a bad position. Like um, even Bryce, like just real quick time, sure. even Bryce young, like he's tiny, uh, he's tiny. He's so small in high school, but, and he runs around a little bit too, but he knows how to go down. He knows not to take those, those shots. And he's playing against sec guys every week and he's frustrating the hell out of those guys. So I think there is a way that Buckner can learn to do that. I covered Tim Tebow at Florida and, and urban even told him, you got to be able to, 
you know, you think you're big, but these guys are much bigger than you. We, we don't need you taking shots like that. And so that is a skill that quarterbacks do need to learn. You, you mentioned a couple programs earlier. I'm curious, is there a program that you think could be the next one to sort of use this USC blueprint and sort of flip its roster over pretty, pretty dramatically this offseason? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think you would look at teams that have struggled this season with first or second year coaches. So I think Texas would be one to watch. I think Oklahoma would be one to definitely watch. I think Miami is going to hit the portal like you can't believe. Like, I think those teams, like the teams that have high expectations, not only for themselves, but they're paying their coaches a ton of money. Um, I think those are the kind of teams that you're going to see go into the portal and, and get the guys that they absolutely need to fix themselves. I think Florida, you know, six and six first year under Billy Napier, even though, you know, oh, they only got blown out against Georgia and pretty much everybody does. Um, I think, you know, the clock is ticking there to get this fixed really, really quickly. And then AM. I think AM is one of the most interesting stories, not only playing so poorly this year, um, not only having guys, you know, driving 100 miles an hour in parking garages and who God knows what was happening in the locker room at Mississippi State um, or at South Carolina, I lose track. But uh, now guys are now guys are leaving, you know, left and right. Either they're being processed out or they're leaving because of, you know, the offense sputtering so much. I think I think Jimbo is going to be a guy that gets in there and says enough's enough. And, you know, we can develop Walter Nolan and Shamar Stewart and Evan Stewart and all these guys. But we need immediate help here because. You know, he can walk away with 86 million and feel good because that's his buyout. You know, some ir incredibly irresponsible AD gave him such outlandish money to fail up. Um, but he has pride on the line, too. And I think he wants this to be fixed immediately. And I think he he sees his roster and he's not entirely sold. Those are the guys to do it. Adam, you mentioned you alluded to NIL money being involved in the portal. Yeah. How much of that is within the guardrails of what NIL is supposed to be, how much of do you think is not at all what it was intended to be? Guardrails, no, <laughs> there's none of that. Until, and, and you know, when I started, I, I actually did a series on Rivals like a year and a half ago on NIL. And, and, it, and my interpretation was like, guys can now make money off their name. And I was so naive after, you know, talking to all these handlers and runners and agents and people involved in this and and these guys don't fall into that category but the open doors people who are very involved in nil and all these kinds of things they said that's not what it's going to be at all it's going to be guys who are alumni pulling money and then buying players that's essentially what it's going to be and that's what it has become uh you know you know rep bomar a million years ago worked at a car dealership and got a free car and, and, and a lot of money. And he basically got booted from Oklahoma. And now they're publicizing T-Mac at Arizona getting a, a car yesterday. Like that's the way that this has changed. And there are a lot of guys out there. And, you know, someone just did a, a big story about you. You can't even approach one of the top high school quarterbacks without talking at least $750,000 now. So that's where this is going um, and, and it goes deeper than that. It's guys, guys are, and I know this per, like personally, I've heard it from three or four people about certain guys. 
they are getting early NIL deals to shop that to other schools for bigger NIL deals. So this is not just some some kid saying, wow, I get a million dollars to go play at at this school. This is saying, all right, I'll commit to your school with a million dollar NIL deal. And then I'm going to go shop that to get more money from somebody else. And I dare you to hold me to any contract that I've signed as a, as a 17 year old kid. So, so that's where we are. So yeah, absolutely no idea until Congress gets their hand around this and puts laws together, you know, that this is what it's going to be. I don't, I, you cannot fix it any other way. Now we hold our breath for that to happen. And we all know that that is not exactly (laughs) something that, they, they first understand, second, want to really get involved with. And third, you know, you, you, one of the things that the NIL people were afraid of to begin with was that every state has different, can put together different laws. So Florida jumped out early and said, you could basically do anything. And then some, you know, California, where I live said after that, you know, they, they could be employees, which means that it grants them these protections and those protections. And then some states said you can't have it at all. So, you know, I think, NIL has completely transformed, just like the portal has, how recruiting works, and and it makes it difficult to report because there are kids I know for sure are committed to schools right now that have absolutely no intention of going there, but they have the best NIL deal, and they're shopping it around to other schools to get one yeah. <laughs> as, as, so that's where we are. <laughs> yeah. As if this wasn't hard enough to cover in the first place. Right. <laughs> um, Adam, switching back to, to the high school recruiting class, Notre Dame, it sits at number two in the rivals team ranking so far. And I think for a while we sort of expected Notre Dame to just sort of naturally fall down as some of the other programs built out their classes, but that hasn't happened yet. Do you think that Notre Dame stays in the top five by the end of the early signing period with where it stands now and where what other classes may add. Yeah. And so this is one of the reasons why we wanted to um, have that blended ranking is because it's important because as, as you look at the numbers and so, and so for people who are sort of unaware of how this works is we take uh, the top 20 uh, ranked players in each recruiting class uh, because what used to happen is that we, it's basically the Houston nut rule. He would, he would manipulate <laughs> recruiting rankings by signing 33 guys or whatever. And so those numbers would be inflated uh, when they didn't have the players. So we take 20, we cut it off at 20. So Alabama having 24 and Notre Dame having 25, that doesn't give an advantage to Notre Dame in any right. sense, because it's the top 20 guys. And, and right now Notre Dame has one more four star than Alabama. Um, so, so, so they should be right in the range there. I definitely think it can stay within the top five. It'll be interesting to see how Alabama closes um, because they're kind of in line for some, for for a big time close. Georgia will close strong. We, we you know, Damon Wilson out of Florida could be a potential five-star. Uh, Mateo Uyunglele looks like Ohio State is the leader, if not them, Oregon or Georgia. So, you know, add a five-star there. So Notre Dame, you know, if not done is pretty close to done, but their, the, the rankings for their classes aren't completely finished. I really hope to see Brennan Vernon at an all-star game. I've heard he's the greatest player ever. And I've heard he's trash. I don't know which one is true. And I want to see, I want to see him. He sure looks like Joey Bosa. I'll tell you that. That's what he looks like. Just the, his personality and, and just how he plays the game. Drake Bowen is a guy that is certainly under five-star consideration. 
Notre Dame fans definitely look at the rankings on Monday for Peyton Bowen. Hint, hint, maybe the best safety in the country. If he sticks with Notre Dame, that would be absolutely huge. So, you know, there are definitely guys, you know, uh, the kid from Rock Island, uh, Jagasaw, uh, is, is super talented. We want to see him against national competition to see, you know, where he kind of, you know, falls in the rankings. Dylan Edwards is an interesting kid who sort of is like a mix between Blake Corum and Deuce Vaughn. He's not as small as Deuce. He's not as big as Blake Corum. So those, that's certainly a very strong comp if he if he really blows it out at an all-star game. So there's still a lot of movement in this class that could still happen. And it's really a credit to the job that Marcus Freeman has done. He, we all knew he's very affable guy, very likable, young, relatable. But he's recruiting incredibly, incredibly well. A lot of talented kids that had uh, opportunities to go elsewhere. Last one from me, Adam. Um, how important is it for and I think Marcus would be good at this, is it for coaches to be able to recruit their own players? You know, players considering the portal say, now, now, now you need to be patient because there's young talent, you know, guys that are top 50 type players that want to play right away and they can't always do that. Yeah. And that, and that, and believe me, I'm, I'm the last one to feel bad for coaches because of how much money they make and all of the perks and, you know, really all of that kind of stuff. But, and, and I think you've, and I think we've seen this and I think that's a little bit of what Jimbo Fisher is learning too, even though he's been in it forever, is that as head coach, you have so many other responsibilities than calling plays. Like you're essentially a CEO and, and recruiting is almost like all of it. And that is part of it. And that's a major part of it because you have to be, you know, there's a saying in recruiting that recruiting starts once a kid commits, because that's when everybody jumps in and tries to steal the kid. But it's also now with the transfer portal, the same thing with, with your own roster and roster management is almost impossible to figure out now. Um, but it is getting a sense that like this kid with a big ego at wide receiver, isn't playing as much, but I have to massage him a little bit to make sure he stays. Is his uncle in his ear about transferring back to Illinois or coming back home to Florida? Is there this guy that keeps hitting up, blowing up his phone about this or that? And that is really part of every week, every day, every minute of, of like those relationships that you have. So like we all know the coaches from a hundred years ago that would sit in their office and not talk to their players and see them on the practice field. And those days, are completely over if you want to win a college football. It's all about relationships and roster management and understanding like there for and here's a here's another example. There are definitely college football players right now, probably a lot of them, a lot more than we'd want to admit that are being hit up by agents and by handlers and by runners of agents saying if you leave Notre Dame and come to this school, we can give you a million dollars. So as they're even on the roster, they can be getting NIL deals elsewhere, which if I'm a guy that had, you know, if I, if I threw for 35 touchdowns last year and I, everybody loved me in St. Louis and now I'm sitting here and I'm not even playing and the coach is screaming at me and I'm late for film and all of this. And, and somebody comes to me and goes, Hey, come, come back and play, you know, let's just stay at Missouri and I'll give you this amount of money. That's, that's, that's appealing. So 
for our business, it's great. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's not only like, it, it used to be there was a recruiting class, they'd, they'd matriculate to college, you'd sort of forget about them because you were so busy with the new recruiting class. But now it's everybody on every single roster is basically still being recruited at all times. So that's college football today for you. <laughs> well, Adam, that's all we have for you. you you're going to have some more people to rank that probably entered the portal at the time we did this podcast. So we'll, we'll let you take get, a nap. Yeah. <laughs> we'll let you get back to that. And hopefully you can survive a pretty crazy December. And we're really excited about all the work you guys are doing with the, with the, both the portal uh, coverage and also the, the, the normal recruiting coverage as well. All right. Thanks guys. As a reminder, the inside Indy sports podcast is presented by dead Soxy maker of the best dress socks you'll ever wear. Still wondering what to do about those last minute stocking stuffers. Need a gift for that random relative or goofy friend that gets you something and you aren't usually prepared to return the favor. Dead Soxy has you and their feet covered. Head over to deadsoxy.com, that's D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com, and use the promo code LUCKY at checkout, and you're going to get some savings that's exclusive to our Inside ND Sports podcast listeners. That's right, LUCKY gets you 30% off and free shipping on all orders. There's no minimum, and this deal isn't available to the general public. Remember, all the socks come with the patented technology with a no-slip guarantee. They're made from bamboo for that premium luxury feel. Great colors and designs that match up with the team we cover and you follow. So happy holidays from Dead Soxy, and as always, stay Soxy. All right, now it's time for questions. Our question segment is powered by AcrePro Midwest Farm Group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from at Coffee Dark Roast. How did each position group do? Um, and he lists all the all the different position groups and then gave us three different categories. Either they met your expectations, exceeded your expectations, or fell below your expectations. So let's go one by one here for the both of us. First one is quarterback. I would say it met my expectations. Um, You know, I didn't realize Drew Pine was going to play as much as he did, but I thought, you know, to have a quarterback finish in the top 20 and pass efficiency in the regular season, I kind of expected that of Buckner. Um, the, The play was not consistent from one week to the next, but it was about what I expected with an experienced quarterback's. Um, I would I would go below expectations. I, I I mean, and that's sort of taking into account what I thought Notre Dame's offense could be with with Tyler Buckner at quarterback. Now, um, I would say probably Drew Pine played to what I would have expected from Drew Pine. Um, so I, I guess you could probably look at it two different ways there. Um, but uh, I, I, overall, I'll say that the quarterback position was below expectations. All right, next one, running back. 
with running back, it exceeded my expectations. I had high expectations for that group. Estime and Diggs were more consistent. Diggs was just more dynamic as a sophomore than I maybe gave him credit for. And they didn't have Jadarian Price, who I think is really good. Um, so they definitely were above my expectations. Yeah, I'd echo that. That was it was an impressive group. I thought there was potential in that group. Um but I was at was one point I was like, man, I thought I mean there was a chance based on how the spring was going that Jadarian Price could have been the leading rusher for Notre Dame. Uh yeah. and then the the guys obviously uh did pretty well with without him. So I, certainly Chris Tyree would probably fall in someone that maybe was below expectations, but the the room as a as a whole, I would say exceeded expectations. All right, next wide receiver. Um below expectations for me. Uh, you know, I thought that certainly Lorenzo Styles, I thought he would be better than he was. I thought some of the older guys would have better numbers. I realized there were injuries involved with them. I thought Tobias Merriweather would get more opportunities. Um, so all in all, below my expectations. Yeah, I'm I'm below there as well. Uh tight end. They met my expectations because I had very high expectations for Michael Mayer, and I figured there would be a good supporting cast and at different times it was different people you know Mitchell Evans kind of popped in there in October and and did some things um and it looked like Eli Raritan was going to be pretty good and I, I think a lot of these guys are going to be pretty good next year yeah I'm gonna go with exceed just because I I thought obviously think very highly of Michael Mayer but the fact that he was still able to play as well as he did when the rest of the passing game was just so um ineffective and not able to like everyone knew the ball was going to Michael Mayer and it still didn't matter so and and it didn't limit his uh his production so I'll, I'll go with slightly exceeding the expectations there how about offensive line I would say they met my expectations Aaron Taylor got me fired up after Harry was rehired and uh so I had higher expectations of them and you know it took them a while to kind of get it going and there were some tactical things late in the year that affected their play but I thought all in all I mean you've got an all-american and Joe all as a sophomore and um you know you didn't have Jarrett Patterson probably at his best physically I think had he been a hundred percent you would have seen an even higher level so met expectations for me yeah I'm a, I'm in agreement with met the expectations there I, it was a line that had the potential to dominate and did that at times but it also was a line that hadn't played together and and showed that it had some inexperience in some space in some places there um and so the up and down nature um wasn't terribly surprising so i would say that it met the expectations how about the defensive line i'm going to go below expectations um fosky certainly had a good year um but i thought i i expected more out of mills yep. um i Expected more out of Jason Adam Malola. I thought he'd be like a top five player on the team, actually. Um, you didn't get a lot of mileage out of the young guys or didn't even see him like Tyson Ford. And not that I expected them to play a lot, but that highly touted of a recruit. I, you know, Joshua Burnham, I thought we'd see a little bit more. Aiden Gobira. Um, and and then it took him a long time to get Jordan Batello on the field. Once he was on the field, and played those 13 or 14 snaps a game, he was pretty effective. So, I, you know, 
maybe Justin Adam Alola exceeded my expectations, but really nobody else did. I thought Howard Cross would do well. Losing Jacob Lacey was disappointing. So, right. well. Yeah, I'm in the below category as well. There just um, wasn't enough of the improvement across the line. Um, and I think there was a fairly significant drop off between the first group and the second group um, at, at most of those positions. So um, I would say below expectations. Uh, next linebacker. I think we're going to differ on this. I have them below. Uh, J.D. Bertrand really came on and had a had a really good year. Marist was not nearly as good. Leah Fow as good as I thought he would be. Jack Kaiser's opportunities were limited. And then you had some younger guys that I think people really wanted to see what they could do. Now, Jalen Sneed was coming on like gangbusters at the end of the year. Prince Kali had some good moments, but I, I just expected more from the group overall. And I think next year we will see more from that group. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to agree with below expectations. Now I think we, our disagreement would be like in terms of the quality of play throughout the season. Um, but I, I still didn't think they necessarily met expectations. I, um, I, I didn't agree with some of the consensus, uh, seemingly fan consensus of, of how some of the players were playing, but Maris Leofau, did not meet his expectations. Um, I would say probably even within the program, it was, he, he was being, I mean, I, I don't remember which, it, it was one of the games early in the season. It might've been like the North Carolina game. They were even like put him out. Like he was named as by the team, by uh, the broadcast, like this is the defensive player to watch. And you know that they get that from, from Notre Dame staff like that. They, they don't, that, they didn't just pick that name out of a hat. He, um, he so also I, had a really good game against North Carolina a couple of years ago too. Right. And, and so I just think that there was very high expectations for him and I don't know that he necessarily met them. And um, Jack Kaiser's season was a bit hard to track in terms of like what it, it seemed like he was doing well. And then all of a sudden he just wasn't playing. And then uh, I know some of that is just based on personnel and, and playing nickel so often, but um, it was, it was sort of a, a baffling season. Um, to sort of figure out, okay, how good is he playing? How much should he be playing? Um, and so just, uh, I probably don't need to say anymore, but below expectations uh, for the position group. Uh, next, cornerback. They met my expectations. I didn't have high ones for them. Cam Hart just never seemed like he was 100%. And so I thought he played below expectations because of that. I think he still got that player in him, but Tariq Bracey played a lot better than I thought he would. Um, and Ben Morrison played way better than I thought he would as a freshman. And, you know, they didn't have a ton of depth there. You know, those sophomores really didn't play at all. Um, their sophomore class, um, Jaden Mickey, I thought he'd contribute a little bit more, but overall, you know, met the expectations. And I think that's a, a position group with the arrow pointing up for next year. Yeah, I would say exceeded expectations. That was one of the position groups that I was question I, I had a, as a bigger question going into the season. Um, and while like Cam Hart didn't necessarily play to the expectation that we thought, I think when you look at how how much better Tariq Bracey played than I would have, would have anticipated, and Benjamin Morrison, I don't know that he, anyone could have anticipated him playing as well as he did. I think as a group, you got to say that they that might've been too hard or greater there exceeded their expectations. Uh, how about the safety group? I, I said met expectations. I mean, some individuals played better 
but I always, I've always been a honk for Xavier Watts. So mm -hmm. maybe I unfairly ranked him so high that I'm not giving him credit for exceeding other people's expectations. Um, you know, Brandon Joseph was solid. Um, you know, I think people passing Houston Griffith on the depth chart was a good thing because he just has never figured the college game out. Uh, but I mean, they were, they were a solid group. So I said, met. Yeah. I said, met too. I, I was between met and below expectations. I, Brandon Joseph was good, but not like the, like, like American a, good. Yeah. He wasn't like a defensive stalwart there. Like you had to, you had to know where Brandon Joseph was on the field at all times. Um, DJ Brown was up and down, which I think that's sort of what you expect from him at this point in his career. Um, Xavier Watts came on. Ramon Henderson had some good moments. I, I, I thought we would probably – I thought there would be more memorable moments from this season from Ramon Henderson than there was. So, um, But I'll, I'll go with met expectations. It wasn't necessarily – He also strange. had to play some nickel too, which I'm not sure is – Right, is yeah. Best. Yeah, and he's definitely a different kind of nickel than Tariq Bracey, so it's sort of an interesting contrast between the two. All right, how about the kicker? I mean, 72%, I'd say he met expectations. That's kind of what he was at Arkansas State. And a lot of his field goals were from 40 to 49. He attempted 18 and 10 of them were from that range. Yeah, I would say met as well. Not, nothing surprising either either way there from Blake Groupie. How about punter? Way above expectations. John yeah. Scott was incredible at flipping the field and also not having his punts trickle into the end zone. Agreed. How about punt return? Um, I would say Matt, I, you know, I, I probably should be exceed given all the fair catches of years past, but Brandon Joseph was up there in terms of punt returners, not a game changer, but I thought, you know, helped the field position. So I, I'd say Matt. I, I would go with exceed just because I didn't, I, I'd sort of given up on the idea of punt return having any sort of uh, impact on the team. So and uh, love it. six yards. All right. <laughs> uh, how about kick return? Way below. I, yeah. I had higher expectations there. Yeah, I agree. And I was even like the USC game. I said something to someone in the press box. I, Cause like Chris Tyree had a couple of returns early that weren't great. Um, and didn't give Notre Dame good field position. But I was like, if they keep doing this, I think he has a chance to break one. And then there, there was no chance. That was that was being way too optimistic with that. All right, next uh, question. Uh, th thank you to for at Coffee Dark Roast. That was a very good question and probably something we could have written stories about <laughs> rather than just spend a, a handful of minutes on the podcast. So uh, next question is from at Drew Brennan 77. It looked like USC did whatever they could to get Jaden Mickey on an island with no other receivers on the side he was defending. Is there anything Notre Dame could have done to mitigate those, mitigate those situations, or is that basically it is what it is? Um, well, I mean, if if they were playing zone, I would think that you could get a safety over to his side, or at least have a safety leaning that way. Um, and also, if you're playing some zone, I guess you could flip Morrison and Mickey um, so that mickey wasn't on an island i mean before the snap uh i'll let you kind of dig into that because you do the film studies yeah i mean I, I haven't done a lot of studying on the the cor cornerback play i just didn't, it it wasn't uh in my opinion like the deciding factor in that usc game so i didn't spend a right. lot of time reviewing it um so 
I'm not sure what you would do. I mean, you can't just like wait to see USC lineup and then run all the way across the field with your cornerbacks. Like that's just not realistic. And obviously, I mean, either way, he's going to be a matched up on someone. Now maybe formationally it's not on an Island as Drew uh, suggested here. And I, I I don't really know. I, like I said, I didn't, I didn't go back and drill down on it too much. I, I think defenses in general throughout the season sort of ended up with Jaden Mickey on an Island. I think that was sometimes a result of poor planning from Notre Dame's side. Um, but he was targeted four times. Um, all four of those times the the pass was caught for 71 yards by USC wide receivers. So I, I, I'm not sure what Notre Dame could have done. You can only do so much. And especially if you're running tempo and all those things that, um, right. and, and USC has so many wide receiver options. It's like, okay, what you got to yeah. over, overload to help out Jaden Mickey on Mario Williams and then leave yourself exposed to Jordan Addison. Like I, there's a lot of different things there. Uh, I think you just sort of have to hope, he can get the right. job done. Like that was when I asked Marcus Freeman after the game, how much it stressed the defense that both Tariq Bracey and Cam Hart was out. He, he sort of went straight to Cam Hart because they needed that. It was going to put Jaden Mickey in more vulnerable positions than even uh, than Ramon Henderson was put in by playing in the nickel spot in replacement of, of Tariq Bracey. Right. Even if he's not isolated formationally, they can find, I mean, there's quarterbacks you've seen that know when there's a weak spot and they look for that that defensive back and throw to that receiver. So he could even been, you know, around other, other receivers and still that they, they would have found Jade, Jade Mickey. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next question is from Rico Benes at Mikey beef 95. What is your evaluation of Al Washington's first year on the job? I got to ask this in my live chat. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday. And my evaluation is he has something to prove. Um, I didn't, you know, as we mentioned in the coffee, coffee dark roast question, I thought the defensive line played below expectations, and I thought recruiting didn't go as well as it looked like it was going to go. I don't know that Keon Keeley exiting the class was necessarily his fault, but they whiffed on some other um, really good defensive line prospects. I, I think they've got a decent class, but it's not doesn't match a lot of the other position groups. Yeah, I I would say probably below expect uh, below expectations on the recruiting front, and then the coaching thing. I, I I'm not sure. Like it's it. I don't know that I feel strongly one way or the other. I thought like we mentioned that the D line group would be better, but but maybe that I had too high ex- of expectations. I mean, for instance, uh, Riley Mills is someone you pinpointed as someone that we thought would do better. I agree that I thought he would have too, but I also thought Riley Mills would do that last year, and he didn't either. So maybe that's more of a Riley Mills thing than a than a coaching thing. Uh, if if it if he didn't sort of make the leap either under Mike Elston or Al Washington, and I think his sort of position moving around, I'm not sure how much that's helping him, um, Riley Mills. So I think Notre Dame did a good job. Al Washington did a good job of adjusting and playing Justin Adam Alola more at that field end position uh, later in the season and getting him on the field more because I thought he he played pretty well, but. Um, I, I would agree with your assessment. Like he still has some, some things to prove there um, that it, this wasn't necessarily a banner year for Notre Dame's defensive line, but it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a, a terrible year for the position either. Uh, next question is from Ohio gold uh, on the insider lounge. Do you think it is more likely that Tommy Reese will return next year as offensive coordinator or leave for another position? Uh, that's another one I got in chat on Wednesday. Um, 
I would have thought maybe at the beginning of the year there was more of a chance. Uh, you know, when you're 75th in the country in total offense, I don't know that that gets you the jobs that you're looking for. Um, I know that there's a lot of people that feel like Tommy has a lot of potential. But again, the year that Notre Dame's offense had, even if you say you kind of mitigate things, you know, if you're talking about a college, I mean, he recruited or had a hand in recruiting most of the players. So um, by the same token, you know, if he's looking at the NFL, they're not really concerned about how he's recruiting. Um, but I, I still think there's a better chance than not that he would come back next year. Yeah, I'm leaning that way, too. I mean, I, we're really just guessing at this point. It obviously depends on what's available to him. But like you said, I don't think I don't think that this season necessarily maximized his potential options this offseason. Right. Um, so that that would lean me uh towards saying that he would he would stay and maybe trying to put a better better final season on his Notre Dame resume in the in the in the future. All right. Next question is from at Golden Domer 281. When do you anticipate any coaching changes or player transfers to be announced? Well, coaching changes, they usually don't announce those until after signing the signing period, if they're going to do those. Um, and then it could really extend all the way into late January and such with NFL teams looking at um, assistance, you know, and, and offering them jobs and so forth. So I don't really anticipate many, if, if, if any, uh, coaching changes, but they usually come out of left field, so I don't write them off. As far as transfer portal, guys, you know, I think Notre Dame likes it when their players wait until after the bowl game to do that. That's certainly within the window. I'm not sure everybody is going to cooperate with that. Um, and maybe we'll see some people as soon as, Monday jump in there now again we when we were talking to Adam Gordon we talked about how good Marcus Freeman is at re-recruiting his own team and I think Notre Dame will have less of that less of the early ones than some other teams yeah well I don't know I mean they they had a couple already in the season that happened <laughs> right well and it happens every season I you know I think Michael Young and people like that at uh Lawrence Keys last year Right. Um, so it yeah, I mean, seem like there's a lot in December before the bowl game, but you know, again, if they're not playing, there's no, there's no reason to stick around. Right. Yeah. I mean, like there could be guys that are, that have been buried on the depth chart, have had injury issues that it's like, let's just get in the portal now. So, I mean, my, my answer to this question, when uh, is whenever and forever, like it's, it's this yeah. is a never ending thing. Now this is, this doesn't, I mean, I know there are transfer windows now, when you're supposed to get in the portal, but it's, it's, it's a never ending process. Cause uh, that's just, that's just when you go in the portal, that's not necessarily when you decide where you're going. Um, right. I think there will be a wave this, this part of the year, then there'll be another wave at the end of the spring. And so um, it's, it's going to be pretty constant. I think, you, I mean, as a reporter, we have to always be on guard for it. It's not, there's not like a, okay, we don't have to worry about, about this right now, because it's just a, it's always, always going on. Next question is from Nathan Reynolds at Enforcers 2117. Of the quarterbacks who have entered the transfer portal so far, who is your top guys, guy or guys, would you like to see Andy go after? 
Well, Hudson Card, as Adam Gorney mentioned, and we mentioned is the top rated guy so far. But I, I, I'm not sure that I'm sold on any of the ones that are in the portal right now. I think there's going to be a lot better options uh, once the, the doors completely swing wide open um, on Monday. And, and again, I think there's going to be some people that wait beyond Monday that are pretty good quarterbacks that enter the portal. You know, I think if you grab one of the guys that are in there now, it's kind of like, shopping on black friday for yourself you know you buy that instapot you say boy it's never going to be a lower price than this right and then it sits on your shelf forever and you never use it you just got a got a great price i think you need to wait even if you are quote unquote paying a higher price or just being patient i think you're better off because there's nobody on there that really makes me think wow, these guys are better than Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine. Uh, so I, I'm I'm wanting to be patient and see what else is out there, like Devin Leary or Hartman, Sam Hartman, if he jumps in, people like that. Those are the quarterbacks I'm more interested in Notre Dame pursuing. Yeah, uh, taking the question on its face, I would say Hudson Card, um, and I think he's – a level above those other guys but i mean it's hard for us to say like with any certainty i mean i don't how familiar with am i with hudson card not terribly i don't haven't spent a lot of time watching hudson card he doesn't exactly have the longest resume in the world right uh, he doesn't have a lot of starting but experience. when you when you compare him to i mean you, you've seen what Cade mcnamara can do is that does that is that get, go in favor for him or goes that is that get held against him um, so there's lots of different ways. state quarterback has had a weird career i mean he could end up being really good but you're rolling the dice I, i'd rather get somebody that's got more of a proven track record yeah and boise state played better without hank bachmeyer than than it did with him this season right. so it, it's it's uh it's hard to know and that doesn't mean that hank bachmeyer can't be a good quarterback again so uh, uh these these are the type of thing like quality like trying to rank like the job that adam gorney has to do in terms of trying to rank these guys in the portal it's not something that I'm prepared to do like at a drop of a hat because I'm just not familiar with uh, all these players uh, right away. It takes some time to get to form stronger opinions. And I don't, it, it, it's hard like, okay, how much time should I spend evaluating Hudson card? If there's going to be three better quarterbacks in the portal and in, in the next week. So you sort of have to figure out how to, how to, how to manage what the expectations are for these players and how much you spend evaluating players that um, maybe won't matter in a week or two. But I, I do think Hudson card will, will be someone that's worth considering and yeah uh, i do and, and notre dame could very well end up with him i we, we don't know yet at this point uh next question is from at henry bead over under 33 and a half new scholarship players on next year's roster i i would say under that number i think you know they're going to end up signing 27 uh maybe 26 if they lose somebody right at the end uh, i don't think they're going to have seven transfers um i think that number would be under that so that would doing the math if i did my math correctly that would be an under 33.5 yeah i'm going under as well um just i i'll have to see notre dame bringing in like six or seven transfers in one season to feel like that's going to be a, a routine thing that, that notre dame is going to do um so I, i'm just not convinced that they'll get that many guys i do think they will get a few guys in 
Um, could be very impactful players, but I'm not sure that it will hit that uh, quantity quite yet. All right, next is from Irish92 on the Insider Lounge. After Kenny Minchie gets the usual ND bump from all the recruiting services, now that we've signed him, does that keep us in the top five? Well, he signs in December, but I know what he means, that he's committed. Um, I'm going to go with Adam Gorney's answer. I, I don't think Minchie's affects it one way or the, another. I don't know that um, it's going to be markedly he, he probably will be among the top 20 recruits, which is all they um, all they rate. But I don't know that that's enough to push that number markedly better. It's certainly not going to push him past Alabama. Will it hold off other teams? I mean, there's other teams that are looking to add five stars here down the stretch. Notre Dame, I don't think, is going to add um, that kind of caliber recruit here at the end. So um, by Adam's estimation, I think he basically said he thinks that they will stay in the top five, probably not at number two. Yeah, I don't, I, Notre Dame's not going to add a five-star at the end here. Like, none of the guys they're recruiting uh, that are targets are going to be five-stars, but it could add multiple five-stars in terms of guys that are already committed. So I think that that is going to be what – will or won't keep Notre Dame yeah. in the, in the top five probably. And, and even high in the top five, like they are right now at number two, if, if Brennan Vernon's a five-star recruit, if Drake Bowen's a five-star recruit, if Peyton Bowen's a five-star recruit, which it sounds like he he's going to be based on the hint hit Adam said, and then he also signs Notre Dame. That's, that's the important second part of that equation that, that Notre Dame will stay there. I, I, I will add that like it, it, some people think that Notre Dame, that Notre, like what Irish 92 said that he, Kenny Minchie is going to get a bump because he committed to Notre Dame. And some people think that rivals lowers kids when they come to Notre Dame. So I think it, it, that's, it's just not the case. Like whatever bump Minchie is getting won't be because of his commitment flip. It's because of the senior, senior, senior season that he had and the more uh, evaluators that are getting a look at him um, from the rivals recruiting staff. So um, I don't know that what we see next week when the rankings are released and updated for the 2023 class, it will be related to, Kenny Minchie committing to Notre Dame. Uh, next question is from at Irish fan one zero two. Can you walk us through the football player schedules between now and the bowl game breaks for finals, holiday travel practice schedule, et cetera. I also want to go on the record that Marie Biafori consistently asked the best questions of the week. Okay. I'll go on record with that too. Um, with Marie. So we'll get a better nuanced schedule uh, when we meet with Marcus Freeman on Sunday, but I can give you some of the things. Generally this week, when the other teams are um, participating in their conference championship games, Notre Dame does lifting and that kind of stuff, conditioning during that week. And then they would start practicing after their bowl announcement. Uh, they have finals between December 12th through the 16th. I believe that they'll get a, a holiday break to go home for Christmas, depending on which bowl game they're going to. And now there's another one in play because of this weird Ohio State Rose Bowl rift. Um, it, it trickles all the way down to Notre Dame. Um, so it could be anywhere between December 28th as a bowl date to January 2nd. And so that'll affect when the holiday dates are. and. Um, you know, during finals week, they will practice a little bit, 
but it's mostly conditioning during finals week. So have a better schedule for you once we talk to Marcus. Yeah, I, we don't have all the answers quite yet. Um, and I don't know that I have more. To, uh, one other day, the, I don't know that Eric said was the, the last day of classes are, are December 8th, um, if, if you're curious about that. But um, we'll get more information after we talk to Marcus Freeman um, following the bull announcement. Uh, next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. Which players are best positioned to use bowl practices to put them on a traje- trajectory for bigger roles in 2023? You know, um, I I came up with too long of a list to say. <laughs> now, again, some of it is how much time is Marcus going to devote, Marcus Freeman going to devote to developmental football? There's been times where that ratio has shifted a lot uh under brian kelly obviously when they are playing for a playoff or a national championship the developmental stuff went on the back burner um so but i would say even even with that let me just highlight maybe three people i would go with jalen sneed i think there's a need for a guy that has his skill set there's a need for sneed need for sneed at the (laughs) rover position so I would put him number one. I think with Cam Hart out, Jaden Mickey can get a lot of fundamentals and instruction that you can't necessarily stop and do on a week-to-week practice schedule. So I think Jaden Mickey could really benefit. And then offensively, I would say Tobias Merriweather, um, because he's missed so much practice and uh, game time because of the concussion at the end of the year. So when he's cleared through that concussion protocol, I think he'll get some valuable reps probably at the field receiver position. They won't try to bunch him up in the um, boundary receiver, and it'll be interesting to see how he does with that. Yeah, and one thing I took into account for this is, I mean, if there are opt-outs, um, then guys are going to even have a, a greater opportunity, not just in practice, but also right. in the game to 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 get some more meaningful reps. Um, so when I think of that, I think maybe Holden stays at tight end yeah. and Jordan Botello at defensive end is guys that they could, were on my long list. Could, could get on there. Well, yeah. Well, I had, I had some of my guys on my list, so I could just throw guys on top. So we have a long list together. Um, yeah. a- Aiden Kiana, I know, was another one that I, I, yeah. I think could have an opportunity. And then the other one that I wanted to highlight was just basically any of the younger interior offensive linemen, whether that's Rocco Spindler, Pat yeah. Coogan, Billy Shrouth, um, I think they should be getting a lot of opportunities in bowl practices because those are guys that will be competing for starting spots next season. All right, next question from noted best question asker of, of every podcast, Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. What do you think will be the focus during bowl pra- pra- practice? Do you think certain positions will be opened up so the players that have not been starters can battle and compete for more playing time slash starting time, particularly the younger players. So um, I think Marcus will make the number one priority to win the game. He will want to send the seniors that are not opting out, send them out on a good note. And I think it's important for the perception of the program. They're going to be most likely playing an SEC team, whether they're in the ReliaQuest Bowl or the Gator Bowl, um, and there are a couple other options, but those are the most likely at this point. Um, I, you know, I think that they should be focusing on development of football, and it's not just 
competing for positions and giving players reps. It's also, if you're considering a position switch or a subtle position switch, those things sometimes start. And, and again, I, I can't stress this enough. They need to be thinking about what they're doing at quarterback in 2023. So if Tyler Buckner is available, he needs to practice. He doesn't necessarily need to be the starter in the bowl game, but he needs practice reps. You have need to see, you know, did he atrophy during the time away? Did he, was he able to absorb enough that he has progressed some? I think you need to see what Steve Angeli gets you because if you have five or six quarterbacks trying to get reps in the spring, Steve Angeli is not going to be prioritized. So this is a good chance to get a long look at him. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious to find out from Marcus what, how, what what this looks like in his mind. Like, are there going to be practices set aside for for younger players and and sort of developmental practice and gives like older guys a break on those days? or is it just portions of practices? I mean, there's a number of different ways you can do that. Um, and you mix them in with the starters. So you put all the young guys out there together. Um, there's lots of different ways you can handle that. Um, and I do think it will be mixed in. I, I can't say for certain, like what the percentage will be um, because we're dealing with a new head coach. So we're not really sure, but and even like you said, like it, Brian Kelly handled it differently throughout his, throughout his tenure. I would imagine that, there should be a decent amount of opportunities given this isn't like the most important bowl of all time that you can, uh, you can work in some of those depth guys. And I don't know that like what they will do will impact the plan for the game itself, but it will provide those growth opportunities for those younger players. Uh, last question we have is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. Looks like Notre Dame will match up with an SEC team in their bowl game. In your opinions, which one in order from toughest to easiest is most likely to beat ND? Okay, so going into this week, really Notre Dame's bowl options were the Gator Bowl, which is an SEC team, the Cheez-It Bowl, which is a Big 12, and the Holiday Bowl, which is a Pac-12 team. Then Ohio State decided, after they lost to Michigan, that they're really not interested in going to the Rose Bowl and if they don't make the playoff. Um, and the Rose Bowl kind of said, you know what, we're really not interested in you. <laughs> so they would fall into the orange bowl. Penn state would take the Rose bowl place. This is if chalk happens in the playoffs, the conference playoffs this weekend and, and that USC stays four and TCU stays three. Uh, other, otherwise all this goes out the window because Ohio state would be back in the playoff picture. What that does though, it, it, it opens up the Relia quest bowl, which is January 2nd in Tampa. And Notre Dame probably would be the top candidate to go there. So, again, that's an SEC matchup. Um, so who might Notre Dame play in either the Gator Bowl or the ReliaQuest Bowl? I came up with four teams. Uh, I think the least likely to end up in one of those bowls is LSU, but I do think it's a possibility. Uh, Ole Miss, South Carolina, and Mississippi State. And in terms of matchups, I think LSU is the most difficult matchup for Notre Dame. I think Ole Miss with their fast-paced offense, um, I think they would be number two. Mississippi State or South Carolina would be number three. They're really hard to get a feel for. They are um, a team that scored six points against Florida before scoring 63 the next week against Tennessee and then also overwhelming Clemson on Clemson's home field. 
they also only scored 10 points against Missouri a couple weeks before the Florida game. So which team are they? I kind of picked somewhere in the middle. And then I think Mississippi State is the easiest matchup. By no, no means easy, but I think Notre Dame's strengths will play out well against Mississippi State. Yeah, I didn't include LSU in my options. I would agree with you that they would be the toughest. And I I I I don't know if they would they would be the least likely. I don't know how to like handicap that in terms of whether or not I just don't want to get my hopes up that we would that, that will happen because it would be well, so the SEC plays matchmaker with their teams. Right. So it, it's not necessarily a tiered thing. And right now, LSU wouldn't be ranked high enough to be in the New Year six discussion. So they would have to go somewhere else. Now they could go to the Citrus Bowl or or but but the ReliaQuest Bowl would be kind of in play for them. But again, you know, if you know, would Kansas State and some of these other teams losing in championship games, would they fall below LSU and LSU get high enough to get in that New Year's six discussion? So the Ohio State thing just makes everything a mess yeah yeah it was kind of wild i would not have expected that uh to i mean i mean i think it makes some sense but it's just kind of weird especially i mean it, it was like the same time where like the rose bowl is under this deadline to make up like it's it's mind of yeah. whether or not it wants to be the barrier that prevents this 2024 and 2025 college football player it's like that's how important the rose bowl is but in some of them and then now honestly it's like yeah we don't care about you <laughs> this year it's just a very weird uh the dichotomy there of the the situation of like how important the Rose Bowl is and how unimportant it is, at least from one perspective. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, as somebody that grew up in Ohio and went to Ohio State, I mean, that's what you dreamt of doing was right. going to the Rose Bowl. I realized the college playoff waters that down a little bit, but I mean, my sophomore year went out to California, had a great time. Um, and that was like the dream vacation of all time. And I I still say it was one of the most fun times I've ever had in my life was going out to uh, California for the Rose Bowl. Yeah, and if Ohio State thinks playing in the Rose Bowl is bad, imagine playing in the Rose Bowl when it's in Dallas. <laughs> yeah, with no people in the stand. <laughs> uh, that was my Rose Bowl experience. Uh, so, um, but anyway, back to the top. So, like LSU, I mean, that would be a dream. Anyone, If there's any way that that's possible, it's hard to imagine, like <laughs> – people not trying to move earth to make that happen. It's just like, that's the perfect bowl scenario, right? I mean, how could you, like, that would be the most attractive non um, new year six bowl immediately because just of the storylines there with Brian Kelly um, and Notre Dame. But so I I did rank the other three. I put South Carolina at the top, just based on the way that they've been playing as of late um, and then put Ole Miss second and Mississippi state third. I, 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 I could flip-flop Ole Miss and South Carolina. I just think South Carolina has been playing better as of late. Now, maybe that won't continue um, when it's not getting up for a game um, against – like, it was easy for them to get up for games um, at the end of the season. Now, will it be the same against Notre Dame in a bowl? I, I don't really know. Um, so, we'll see how that how that plays out. It's it's really hard to anticipate. Bowl games are a total crapshoot in terms of what team is going to show up and what, what their motivation will be. So, um, I, I can't say with any certainty what that looks like and – um, we'll certainly be discussing that once we find out who the actual opponent is and the destination is on Sunday. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with a grocery store clerk.
check us out on YouTube. If you're not subscribed to us there already, we're planning to do a Monday Night Live show to react to Notre Dame's bowl assignment this coming Monday. So look out for that. And we'll be back for another podcast next week. But until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame football coverage needs. 